0: Hey, doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I'm your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and Doom. Doom. Okay, so, Paula, I was um, looking at, like, unsolved cases. I wanted to um, focus a couple episodes on, like, some unsolved cases, maybe try to bring some attention to them. Maybe we can see some resolution. But uh, I Googled, like, the most mysterious cases for every state oh interesting and this is the one that came up for florida okay and being floridians i thought we should dive into it we
1: have to dive into it
0: absolutely so today i'm going to tell you the story of the sims family murders something terrible has happened please come Those were the words spoken to a Tallahassee Funeral Home Ambulance Service on the evening of October 22, 1966. 17-year-old Virginia Sims, who was originally misidentified in newspapers as Norma, had been babysitting for a family while the adults attended a Florida State football game. Now, this was a big football game, and a large part of the Tallahassee, Florida community was in attendance at the North Florida Fair. The Sims family, however, was home for an evening of family time watching TV. The entire family was spending the evening in the modest brick ranch house at 641 Muriel Court Drive, except for the two oldest daughters, who were both babysitting for other families attending the football game. After the family Virginia, who actually went by Jenny, was babysitting for, returned home, Jenny left and headed back to her house on Muriel Court Drive, but when she arrived, she noticed something very strange. It was about 11.15 p.m., so she expected to find everyone huddled in the living room, winding down watching their favorite shows, and the living room TV was on, but her father, mother, and youngest sister were nowhere to be found. So Jenny starts looking around the house for them, and when she got to her parents' bedroom, her life changed forever. Dr. Robert Sims, Jenny's 42-year-old father, was laying on top of his king-size bed, on top of the flowered bedspread, blindfolded and bound. He had been shot once in the head. He was wearing trousers, a sport shirt, socks, and shoes. Her 34-year-old mother, Helen, often described by newspapers as an attractive auburn-haired woman, was laying on the beige carpet, bound, blindfolded, and shot twice in the head and once in her leg. She was wearing pink slacks and a blouse. Finally, Norma's youngest sister, 12-year-old Joy Lynn, who was still wearing her nightgown, was laying diagonal to her mother on the floor, having been shot in the head once and stabbed six times in the torso with a large hunting or butcher knife. Her underwear had been pulled down, suggesting that she had been sexually assaulted. She was dead. All three victims had been bound and gagged with household items described as neckties, socks, hosiery, or lingerie. The parents had been blindfolded, and some sources say that Joy was also blindfolded, but some accounts say that she wasn't, so we really can't be sure about that. Robert and Helen were still clinging to life when Jenny found them, but Robert died shortly after arriving at the hospital, and Helen died after fighting for her life for nine days. During this time, she never regained consciousness and eventually passed on October 31st, 1966. The fact that the couple had still been alive when Jenny found them pointed to the attacks having happened not long before she arrived home. And this was later confirmed by a neighbor who claimed to have heard screams around 1045. And she described them as high-pitched screams, So she just brushed it off thinking it was kids playing and she never contacted the police. Russell Bevis, the owner of the Bevis Funeral Home, and his 16-year-old son were the first to arrive at the scene. When he saw the family, he asked his son Rocky to go get something to untie them while he attempted to perform life-saving measurements. Now, it seems strange now to call a funeral home for help in a situation like this, but apparently that was the custom in Tallahassee at the time.
1: It's different, but it okay.
0: I'm assuming it was kind of like their version of maybe like the EMT or something. Okay. One of the first investigators at the scene was 24 year old Larry Campbell, who would later become the lead detective from Leon County Sheriff Department on the case. In fact, he would later become the Leon County Sheriff. There was no sign of forced entry. Upon investigation, robbery was ruled out almost immediately. There was no evidence that anything at all had been taken or even moved around for that matter. And there had been some money left in plain sight, as well as an expensive coin collection left right in view. Leon County Sheriff William Joyce said, quote, Not so much as an ashtray had been moved as far as we can tell, end quote. This was no robbery. This attack was personal. Very, very personal. And in my opinion, it seemed that Joy got the worst of it. The little girl. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for her to have been
1: stabbed and shot. The fact that there's multiple murder weapons points to someone that's very angry.
0: Yes, or possibly two assailants. Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. I have some theories about this. Let's talk about them at the end. So, unfortunately, as was custom in 1966, authorities failed to secure the crime scene. And in the hours after the attack, it is reported that nearly a thousand people walked through the Sims family home. Rocky Belvis said, quote, they went in and made coffee. It was probably textbook what you shouldn't do, end quote. Authorities did search the area surrounding the Muriel Court home in Tallahassee, Florida. They even drained a nearby pond to search for a possible murder weapon or any other potential evidence, but they found nothing. The knots used to bind the family were considered interesting. They were specialized knots. Former assistant state attorney Jeremy Mutz claimed in a Reddit post in 2017 that quote, everything indicated that the murders had been planned, that the killer or killers had spent time cleaning the scene and suggested that it would have had to have been someone who would feel comfortable being seen at the neighborhood without raising suspicions, end quote. The Sims family had been well liked and respected. They were described as a close-knit religious family, Even with the scrutiny of a homicide investigation, nothing dark or sinister could be said of the Sims family. Robert was the director of data processing for the Florida Department of Education, and Helen was the former secretary at First Baptist Church of Tallahassee. These are highly respected people. There are just not any finer folks in town, said Leon County Deputy William P. Smith to the Chicago Tribune. In the days after the attack, the local community was totally panicked that there was a killer still at large. No arrest had been made, and there weren't even very many suspects. Halloween was adjusted that year, and no one was allowed to trick-or-treat for fear that a real-life boogeyman might befall them.
1: That makes me sad for the children. (laughs) Well, you know, our favorite holiday. Yeah, my heart goes out to them. But you know that's what
0: happened this last year with COVID. That's true. I didn't take my kids trick-or-treating. I did a scavenger hunt in our yard. My, That's fun. Yeah, my mother-in-law did, and my parents did. So we started at our house, and then we...
1: Oh, like a traveling scavenger yeah, hunt. Yeah, I like
0: that. So that was fun, and, you know, we dressed up and stuff like that, but we didn't go from house to house. Yeah. They didn't notice. We called it trick-or-treating, but there you go. it wasn't. <laughs> so reporter James Williams of the Tuscaloosa News said, Quote, this Halloween 1966, the night of spooks and goblins will be one which the children and grown people of Tallahassee will not soon forget, one when the game of fear became a stark reality, end quote. The investigation slogged on, friends and family were interviewed with no new developments. In an act of seeming desperation, authorities even tracked down anyone who had borrowed the book in cold blood from the Tallahassee library thinking that, you know, maybe the murders had been inspired by the book by Capote. But every path investigators took led them nowhere. And the timing of the murder definitely did not help. The FSU football game and the North Florida Fair had brought in hundreds of strangers into this area just before the crime occurred. Now, though this case has remained unsolved and one of Florida's biggest mysteries, there have been several persons of interest over the years. And one of those was the pastor that Helen Sims was working for shortly before she was murdered. Helen had worked for Pastor C.A. Roberts at the First Baptist Church, but had quit her job just a few days before she was attacked. The reason why she quit was always surrounded by mystery, but there was a lot of speculation that she may have disapproved of the way Roberts was living his private life. It was alleged that he was having several affairs with many local women, and ultimately, the rumors of the philandering, as well as him being a person of interest in this case, led to his career being destroyed.
1: Ooh, scandal. It is. And
0: I just want to say, all of that is allegedly... Because if this was a good godly man who wasn't doing any of that, I am not going to be the person who gets struck by lightning. Right. By talking about God's anointed over here. So, so allegedly. Allegedly.
1: That is what was reported. Yeah, we are not pointing the finger.
0: That is right. Not at all. Now, I will say this. Pastor Roberts was seen at the football game. And not only had he been seen by witnesses throughout the game, there was also video footage of him being there. I read something about some people got, you know, all in a tizzy because during the funeral, he called Helen by her first name and some people said that's inappropriate. They obviously had too close of a relationship. What does that mean? okay. So some of it just seems like gossip. Yeah. Like, and people taking two and two and making it five and and stuff like that. So he may have been very, very innocent and just been on the, the brunt side of people's tongue wagging. People love to do that. Oh, yes, for sure. The day after the murders, a woman attempting to place a phone call on a party line accidentally heard snippets of a stranger's conversation. So do you know what a party line is?
1: I want to say it's a number that you call and you can speak to several different people at the same time. Am I right? It's something like that. So I didn't know what it
0: was either until my parents. Apparently, this was like how phone lines used to work back in the day. So instead of every household having their own phone, there would be like one per street or neighborhood or something like that. So you would pick up the phone and your next door neighbor might be talking on it. Oh, um, Everybody shared a phone line. So you could pick up the phone and listen in on somebody else's conversation.
1: Ah.
0: Yeah, you had to wait for people to get off, which is like totally bizarre. I can't imagine anything like that, you no. know, in our day and age. But that's what a party line is. So this woman, you know, attempted to make a phone call and she hears this conversation already going on and here's what she heard. Mother, I have just done a horrible thing. I have killed three persons. This chilling statement came from the voice of a young man. Now the telephone company could only say that the call had come from one of 200 possible lines in Prevard County, which is approximately a five hour drive south of Tallahassee. There was also a teen couple who had specific case knowledge that was never made public. Mary Charles LaJoy, who was only 19, was described as odd and obsessed with death, which, when I read this, made me think that that is probably how either of us would have been described if we lived back in 1966. You read my mind because I was thinking the exact same <laughs> thing. It sounds like me and Cynthia. <laughs> I, I was like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> We've been condemned. Yes. Mary was actually the daughter of a janitor at Florida State University, but here's something Mary did that I know I've never done, and I certainly hope you haven't. Okay. She had been caught breaking into funeral homes. I have not, but I can <laughs> see me doing something like that. Mm, if I'm going to break it in or anything, I can tell you right now, it's not going to be a funeral home.
1: Okay, so I wouldn't go in the building, but I can see me breaking into a closed graveyard after hours.
0: Okay. Yes, I absolutely. Would absolutely I that. would do that with you. Okay. We'll do it. We'll plan it. Yeah, it's a plan. (laughs) Future date. Yes. So she'd been caught breaking into these funeral homes actually more than once. Her boyfriend, Vernon Fox Jr., who was 21, was described as a loner, and he was even suspected of being a peeping Tom. It's alleged he was seen peeping on Joy Sims just a week before the murders. And there were even some claims that Vernon was on the cusp of being arrested for molesting Joy shortly before the crime. But there was no supporting evidence for these allegations and no legitimate mention of prior sexual abuse on Joy in any investigative findings or police reports. Now, interestingly, Vernon was the son of a famous FSU criminology professor, and he lived on the street ...right behind the Sims' home. That's quite the coincidence. It is. And authorities found the location of Vernon's home especially interesting... ...as they had theorized already that the assailant or assailants... ...approached from the woods behind the Sims' house. This would explain why Muriel Court neighbors never saw any visitors... ...or unfamiliar vehicles at the house the night the Sims were murdered. The idea of two perpetrators also made sense to authorities... The knots tying the victims were tied so tightly that investigators didn't think it was possible that the family had tied each other at gunpoint. It made more sense to authorities that one assailant held the gun on the family while the other one tied them up, although it cannot be ruled out that the family may have been forced to tie each other and then a single assailant checked and retied the knots after they had initially been bound. Now in the 1980s, more than a decade after the crime, Mary Charles went back to Tallahassee to voluntarily talk to the investigators. And at that time, she suggested that Vernon, who was now her husband, had committed the murders. Whoa! However, her motive for turning in her husband may have been tainted as she had expressed an awful lot of interest in that reward money. Some reports go as far as to say that during the interrogation, which was recorded, Mary admitted to visiting the Sims' home on the night of the murders. She made statements like, I went in there and looked at that body. My God, that kid with her clothes off lying on the floor. My God. How could he be turned on by something like that? I was looking at the kid lying on the floor. During this interview, it appeared that Mary was on the verge of making a full confession when she allegedly asked what would happen if she admitted to being in the Sims' home during the crime. Guess what the investigator said. What? He told her she would go to jail. And she suddenly claimed that she had no memory of the event, but instead she had just described a version of the crime that had come to her in a dream.
1: Oh, calling shenanigans on that.
0: And a lot of people say, why in the world would the investigator kind of botch this? Like if you've got someone who's literally about to confess to you and they say, what's going to happen to me? You know, there's so many things you could say that wouldn't necessarily like be like, you're going to jail. You could say, well, I'm not the person in charge. I'm not sure what would happen. I'm not. Right. I'm just here to listen. I'm here to help you. Right. They're allowed to lie. Yeah. But to say, oh, you're going to go to jail if you tell me you.
1: Right, that's why I thought it was going to be some something different. No, nope, you're thing.
0: just going to jail. She's going to jail, and then suddenly it was all a dream. Yeah. Now, Vernon has denied his involvement since day one and has been actively following and commenting on the case in online forums, which I find that interesting. Like, you know how a lot of murderers want to be close you know they say always look at like the search party and the people who keep like putting themselves in the situation because a lot of times they want to like they keep showing up they want to know what's going on and how far they're getting right i find this really interesting i know that if i were accused of murdering somebody and i didn't do it you're not going to see me posting on facebook or anything else Right. i'm not going to be involved
1: in any photos or any kind of investigation
0: i'm staying out of this i'm gonna let this die i'm not gonna feed it at the same time, I think if I did kill somebody, I'm not going to say anything about it either.
1: Right. I don't want them to have an excuse to say, look, she keeps showing up. Right.
0: In fact, that's how you'll know I did it because I search all day true crime. All I do is listen to true crime. The one that happens near me that I commit is going to be the one you're not going to
1: find on my history. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to give any arrows to me.
0: Major suspicion though. That's going to be suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. How about I just don't kill anybody? How about that? There you go. Okay, so Vernon even gave an interview for a documentary on the case called 641 Muriel Court. Conspiracy theorists point to flaws in the investigation, like that botched interview, and say it's evidence of a cover-up, possibly because of the position of Vernon's father, that nationally renowned criminologist and FSU VIP. Well, Vernon's father died in 2001. Mary and Vernon have divorced and both have remarried and both live in Florida, but neither one of them have an arrest record. Hmm. I find that interesting. Yeah. If you're a cold blooded killer and a peeping Tom and a sexual abuser or any of the things that, you know, the murderers could have been, I find it interesting that you've gone all these years without ever having been arrested. Right. So in nineteen eighty, Sheriff Katsarius reopened the case on a tip. He learned that a death row inmate had Florida ties. This man had actually known the Sims family and he'd been convicted of another set of murders that was very similar in style and nature to the Sims family crime. Both scenes were described as senseless and seemingly without motive. The sheriff declined to name the convict or give any other identifying information and apparently the lead didn't go very far. Unfortunately, the Sims family murders remain unsolved. Leon County Sheriff Larry Campbell told the Sarasota Herald Tribune, quote, I've seen some terrible things in 45 plus years of law enforcement, but I can see Joy's eyes as clear today as I sit here talking to you, End quote. He said, I've done everything I think I can do. The big frustration is that I feel very confident that I know who did it oh my goodness so I didn't want to do this as like part of the main story because nothing I read outright says who the sheriff thinks did it but it kind of seems to point to he thinks it was Vernon and Mary that goes along with my theory so I told you I had a little bit of a theory yeah to me it makes sense that the victim was joy that was the, the targeted victim Okay, because of the, the extra violence on her. Exactly. The fact that her underwear was pulled down, there may have been some sexual abuse there. The fact that her parents were blindfolded and tied up, if they'd wanted to hurt Joy, obviously they're going to need to incapacitate the parents. So tie them up, blindfold them, do what they do to Joy. It's extra violent on her with her being both shot and stabbed being stabbed shows that they were like possibly physically closer to her so to me it just kind of makes sense that this couple possibly or vernon you know if he was seen looking in our windows and he was kind of known to have been a peeper and kind of a creeper and stuff like that to me that makes sense that makes sense to me too to me that makes the most sense out of the options we've heard But, again, to do something so cruel and awful and then go the rest of your life and never be, you know, not have a life of crime, that also seems very strange to me. Agreed. So anything says that they are not guilty for that,
1: I would say it's that. It is also possible that they might not have a record because they just didn't get caught doing other things as well. That's true.
0: But do you think that at 21 or 22 years old, you can do something so terrible? I mean, I know we all do things when we're young that we look back now and think.
1: Wow, that was stupid. Yeah,
0: I can't <laughs> believe I did that. I would never do that now. Right. But this is murder. Yeah. Violent Violent murder. murder. Do you think you do that once and then change? Be rehabbed?
1: I don't know. Unless it's one of those situations where you just snap. you reached your breaking point
0: yeah but i don't know in this i mean i can see snapping in certain you walk in on your spouse and find they're cheating on you right okay that's a snap moment absolutely um you walk in on somebody hurting your kid that's a snap moment definitely but this was i'm breaking into your house i'm tying you up i'm blindfolding you i'm molesting this little girl yeah there's more I'm, thought put into it yeah. than just snapping yeah to me this doesn't seem like a snap scenario. To me, this seems like, I don't know, I guess it's possible people can commit murder once and then decide it's not for them and never do it again. But
1: that seems like a big leap to me. Or unless you've hit your target person and you're done. You know, like Joy was the target, did what they wanted to, and then, and then they were done.
0: I guess that's a possibility. It seems improbable to me.
1: That's because we are not murderers. That's true. So this doesn't make sense no matter what the scenario is that's true that's really you just
0: hit the nail on the head normal and i say normal is a setting on a washing machine so but not murdering minds cannot understand the mind of a murderer exactly because we just we we, we don't think that way right we're not child abusers we're not so we cannot understand it you're brilliant
1: well it's the first time anyone's <laughs> ever called me that so thank you
0: well, that's the murder of the Sims family, one of Florida's biggest unsolved cases. That is intense. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Well, do you have any uh, any tidbits for us for our Time to Kill segment?
1: I do, as a matter of fact. Okay. You know that I've always wanted to go on a ghost tour, <gasps> and I'm currently dating someone that thinks they're ridiculous and all made up he does i didn't know that he does so i've never actually gotten (laughs) to do one until last week (gasps) oh my gosh tell me okay so we took a road trip to visit some friends at myrtle beach and we all drove down to georgetown south carolina we get there and we meet ginger so we started off and she said so what i'm going to do is i'm going to tell you a little brief history about each building and then give you examples of paranormal activity Mm. and she had two of like the little portable evp machines so she handed out two to two different people she also said now make sure to have your phones available and take pictures because you might see something in your photograph that you're not going to catch with the naked eye so i was snapping pictures all over the place so we left about 8 p.m the sun had gone down and it was nice and dark and ginger would stop at a house or a historical building and you know talk about it so the first one she would talk about how the owner's brother went to the Navy and died. And the next family that moved in would have a Christmas parties and several people, including a small child, would ask about the man in the Navy uniform in the kitchen. Ooh. And the mom was like, I don't know anyone that was in the Navy and no one here is in a costume. So who are you talking about? And this little kid was like, Oh, yeah, he called me by name and said, How are you doing? And you know, Merry Christmas. And There was just this reoccurrence of this man in a navy costume who would always hang out in the kitchen wow a good spirit yeah friendly okay but the coolest part was about halfway through we stopped at a three-story house and ginger began to tell us the story and the door opened a woman named tammy stepped out and told us three different stories that she and her family experienced while living in the house one was the ghost of a woman named caroline whose fiance left her for another woman she died never having been married Tammy's daughter brought over a scrapbook of her wedding photos. And all of a sudden, they snapped clothes and flew off the table. Woo! Yeah. So Caroline was clearly jealous. And there was also a soldier that hung out in the front room by the window. There was something weird in the attic. We aren't quite old enough to remember this, but if you've ever seen the movies that were set back in the 40s or 50s, they had this newsreel that would play before the movies, it was their version of what was going on in the war. So in the middle of the night, alone in the house, Tammy would hear an old newsreel, troops in France, and then a song from that time period playing on the radio. But there was no radio in the attic. Ew, it's coming from the attic? Yeah. I'm getting chill. And she even told us, she's like, I know you're going to think this is crazy, but I told myself it was a dream, and I tried to go back to sleep. Right. And then she did fall asleep, and then... She heard it again, and it freaked her out so much that she turned on all the lights in the house. And again, this is a three-story house. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And made herself a cup of tea and then went out on the front porch and waited for the sun to rise. She was so freaked out. I would be too. So just little, little creepy things. But then she said she hasn't really had any activity since. We also walked through the graveyard and just...
0: Oh my gosh, so that sounds like so much fun. It
1: was so much fun. I took a ton of pictures and I'll share some photos. Yeah. You know the town I live in does a ghost tour. Oh yeah, I definitely want to do that. We'll have to do that
0: together. Yes, let's do like a girls' weekend. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you got to do that, Paula, and I'm glad your boyfriend finally went with you. Yeah. Does he he not believe in ghosts?
1: I don't think he does. Because every once in a while, we'd stop and during we'd walk and I'd be like, Yeah, that's not real. That's made up. (laughs) It's all a hoax. he's, He's not a believer, and that's fine. He doesn't have to be,
0: Paula. Something I'd love for us to do this Halloween when we start thinking about it is if you watch the Ellen DeGeneres show, she always sends a couple of her Scaredy Cat staff members to tour haunted houses. That's right. They're so fun They're to watch. so hysterical. And Paula and I are both absolutely chickens. Absolutely chickens. <laughs> and I just know <laughs> that first of all, I don't know if I could do it. Just you and me? I get freaked out with my marine husband. Yeah. Like, just you and me walking through? I don't know. But I think it'd be pretty funny to watch. So if anybody can hook us up there, let us know.
1: Yeah, film us. Yeah. Going
0: through and screaming. Yeah, set something up for us. That would be pretty fun. That'd be hilarious.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for
0: listening, everybody. We sure hope that um, we can shed some light on some of these cases. Nothing would be better than to find out that We finally get some answers for these families who've lost loved ones. I can't imagine anything that would make us happier. Absolutely. We will bring you a new episode every Friday. In the meantime, like us on Facebook. Follow our page. Give us ratings.
1: Like and subscribe. Absolutely. We sure would appreciate it. All right. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Bye. Bye.